praise God. We are beginning a brand new sermon series um, called uh, Heroes of Faith, and um, I'm excited about getting into it. As we begin this new, <coughs> excuse me, this new series, um, we are going to be looking at some of the classic Bible stories of the Old Testament, and I use the word some. I'm not going to be able to cover more than just um, six of them because it's a six-week series. And obviously there are many, many, many more classics than just six. So what I want us to note is that as we're looking at the people who did extraordinary things for God, I mean big things, I don't want us to miss that they were just ordinary people who had extraordinary faith. There are some of the heroes of faith in the Bible. And they were just like you, just like me. In Hebrews 11, we have a list of people who lived by faith. And because they trusted God with everything that they had, they became extraordinary. It wasn't that they were special. It was that their faith was special. What I love about looking at their stories is that they do more than just inspire me. They remind me that it's by faith that I can please God. And real faith is when a believer is willing to trust God, to surrender everything and everyone to God. To truly live by God's will, by God's way, by God's time, by God's word. Not mine, not yours. That's living by faith. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. We're in the New Testament now, and as we begin to look at this, we begin to see the writer of Hebrews. We don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. It's interesting. Many scholars think it might be a female, because back in that time, females were not allowed to write. Well, guess what? There could have been a female who wrote this book. Anyways, whoever this author is, they say this to us in verse 7. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God. Notice that Noah's faith was tied to his obedience. Who warned him about things that had never happened before. Rain coming from the sky. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world. And he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, if you grew up in the church, the story of Noah is most likely a very familiar one. If you didn't, then you're probably going off everything that Hollywood showed you, including Russell Crowe. Got news for you. Bad version of the story. Um, the original story is found in Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9, but you find that in chapters 5 is where we get introduced to the guy Noah, and you even find him in, in chapters 10. He is found over and over again throughout the Bible, this guy named Noah. Folks, there's nothing childish about the story of Noah. <laughs> i got to tell you this. I always find it kind of interesting how... How we as parents, and a lot of times even, you know, Sunday school rooms, and you'll see this big arc, you know, the giraffe on the front, on the bow, right? The big old head. 
I don't quite understand because when you really think about this is the story where God's wrath was so big, he literally destroyed everything. Let's put it on our kids' walls. We paint a big arc up there. Now go to sleep and have a wonderful night, Junior. What are we thinking? All right, I regress. God had grown unhappy with how Adam's descendants were living. And that there was now the need to punish evil. And he wanted to start with a remnant. That would have been really Noah and his family. God referred to Noah as righteous and blameless. The word righteous had never been used before. This is the first time we ever see the word righteous ever being used in the Bible. And it's used for Noah. Noah's righteousness did not come from his good works. Did you hear that? It wasn't because he did good things for the body of Christ or for the church. He did good works because his heart was righteous. It was an overflow. God tells Noah about the flood that he's sending and the destruction that will come. And tells him to build a boat big boat, an ark. And that's going to have three levels, large enough for all the animals of its kind. And him and his three sons and their wives and his wife. By the way, we don't know Noah's wife. We just call her Mrs. Noah. Don't have her name. And sure enough, just as Noah's finished the ark, God gets all the animals and his family in there. And, and literally, supernaturally, God closes the door of the ark. I just would have liked to have seen that. You know, like automated. No, no pneumatics. Just, he just does it and seals it all up. Now, I know there's a lot of people... And because we've all, many have all gone to public school or some form, and, and because of the wonderful world of the internet, who knows everything on the internet's true, praise God, hallelujah, right? All right, okay, I'm in a church, the Lord forgive me. Um, some people say, how could you get that many animals? And because I don't want to turn this into an apologetic sermon, I thought I would just play this little video for you so that you guys can kind of see that you can trust the Bible, it's not fairy tale. Why don't you watch this? Lots of people say there's no way that two of every known species in the world could fit onto Noah's Ark. You know what? We agree. But the truth of the matter is that the Bible doesn't claim that's what happened. So if we really want to get to the truth of it, we're going to need to see what the Bible really says about all this and then ask three questions. How many animals are we really talking about? How big were they? And how big was the ark? We answer those, we're closer to understanding the truth. Make sense? Good. So how many animals are we really talking about here? Well, let's jump back to move forward, shall we? Let's take a peek at day five of creation week and do a plain reading of Genesis 1 verse 21. 
And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. Jump ahead to Genesis 125, day 6, the same day man and woman were created, and here's what we get. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. So there you have a very clear account of the land and sea creatures created by God according to their kinds. Now, take a look at the phrase, according to their kind. What does it mean? Is it the same as species? I don't think so. It's possible that it's closer to what we call families in the typical biology class today, with some exceptions. Keep in mind that species is a man-made definition anyway. Confused? Huh? Let me explain. Let's take the dog kind, for example. We'll call the female dog taken on the ark Bingo, because that's the name of my first dog. Okay, from Bingo and her mate, you can get the various species of coyote, wolf, and even domestic dogs, like the Border Collie, Great Dane, Poodle, and so on. You get it? The different species we have now could have easily been generated after the flood from the information already present within the parent kind. So kind isn't the same as species at all. And a plain reading of the Bible teaches that Noah only had to take the representatives of the different kinds of land-dwelling, air-breathing animals. You don't believe me? Take a look for yourself. Genesis 6.20, of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. That's as clear as it gets, folks. Simple instructions of what to take and what not to take. And in case we need further understanding of what God meant, he clarifies by telling us what died outside the ark. Genesis 7.22, and in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. Okay, so he's not talking about any sea creatures being on the ark. Not the tiniest seahorse or the largest whale. Because the last time we checked, they weren't swimming around on dry land. He's also not talking about plant life or single-celled organisms or bacteria. No, only things that have the breath of life in its nostrils and are on dry land. That's great, you say. But how many original kinds of land-dwelling, air-breathing creatures are on the ark? Well, to be quite honest, we weren't there, and I don't have the time for each and every detail. But one leading ark researcher did a whole bunch of calculations and was very generous with the numbers he used. He selected the genus level and found that there are less than 8,000 kinds, or about 16,000 individual animals. So let's just round up to, say, 30,000 and then call it even. It'll make the math easier anyway. Could 30,000 animals fit on the ark described in Genesis? That's a good question. Glad you asked. To answer it, we have to take a look at two more things. The size of the average animal and the size of the ark. Makes sense? Of course it does. Moving on. We can't list every animal, but we've got things from the various bird kinds to the elephant kind, from the various dinosaur kinds to the smallest mammal kinds, and so on and so on and so on. So, you take all the young adult animals, because nothing says the animals had to be the oldest and biggest, and you look at all the various sizes we know of today, even from the fossil record, and you do some calculating, you come to the conclusion that the average size of the land animal is actually smaller than a sheep. But let's just use a sheep as the average size for the sake of argument. So now we've got the size of the average animal, a sheep, and we have the maximum number of sheep, 30,000. So are we going to need a bigger boat? Well, let's see how big it really was and if 30,000 sheep could fit on it. Back to the Bible. Genesis 6.15. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Genesis 6.16. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Using what's known as the small cubit, that makes the ark approximately 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and about 45 feet high, with three decks, a door, and a window. So this ain't no canoe or a bathtub boat with giraffe heads poking out of it. This is a huge, seaworthy vessel. The total available floor space on the ark would have been over 100,000 square feet. The total cubic volume would have been 1,518,000 cubic feet, which is about the capacity of 522 railroad stock cars. So we're getting down to the nitty-gritty here, folks. How many sheep can fit into 522 stock cars? Well, just so happens I know the answer. The average double-deck railroad stock car can fit about 240 sheep. Now, that's a lot of wool. So 522 stock cars holding 240 sheep-sized animals each gives us the hefty total of 125,280 sheep-sized creatures that could have fit onto the ark. Remember, we only needed to fit 30,000 on it, and 30,000 is almost two times the already generous estimate of animals necessary to represent all the species we see today. 
So it's easy to see that with more realistic numbers, there was plenty of room for cages, food, and even fresh water for the duration of the year-long stay that these animals had to be on the ark. And you know what? Ark researchers have studied this too, and I'll let you look that up. So there you have it. Simple reading of scripture, simple math, basic science. This fallible claim against the Bible is debunked. Adios. Well, I don't think I need to say anything else about that. The Bible continues to stand on its own, amen? you got to understand, we, we are dealing with the father of lies who wants to make you and I doubt God. It started in Genesis chapter 3, he, where he, was, he says what? God knows if you eat of that app, you'll be just like God. He hasn't changed his strategy since, guys. So you can be proud of what you believe in in the Word of God. Amen? Well, I've been thinking about Noah, and I began to wonder what Noah would think about our world today. Under what similarities and what differences Noah would clearly see from what it was like before the flood began? What were the people like? What were the people declaring? What were they legalizing as normal versus what God says is evil? I mean, if Noah were here today, what would he tell us? What message would he share with us? Now, this is just my guesstimate, of course, but I think Noah would probably start off with number one for your notes. God sees what no one else sees. You know, a lot of times we pastor types, we want to talk about all the bad things that are going on in the world, and somehow that makes us feel really, you know, powerful and good. And, and, and that's really not my heart. But anybody who was paying attention to what happened politically this last week to find out what New York was doing, what Virginia's trying to do, um, it, it's... It takes your breath away that literally in that a child could be in the birth canal fully dilated and there could still be the request and the accomplishment of aborting a baby literally at the moment of birth now why am I against abortion? Probably for different reasons than you would probably think. Because I'm against anything that is going to attack the soul of a person. And when there has been anybody, whether somebody in this room who's had to go through something like that, maybe it was medically, maybe it's because you were scared, I don't know what the reason, but what happens is when we partake in something like that, it goes after your soul. And God loves you. He died for your soul. And so when we have a nation that says it's okay to go after the innocent like that, you have to ask the question, are we going back to the times of Noah? But please do not be depressed because there are wonderful things that God is still doing today in the midst of all of it. See, God sees what no one else sees. God saw the corruption in the days of Noah, where no one else saw any corruption as a problem at all. 
God saw the injustice, the, the greed, and the violence, and the horror. Everyone else saw everything as just being acceptable and normal. God also saw one man and his family, and he said, that man is righteous, and he's blameless. Righteous in how he stands with me, not sinless, and blameless in how he conducts himself with people. I think we're all tempted to think that God isn't watching. How could God be watching with all the injustice that is in our world today? We look around and we see so much darkness. I think we're tempted to think that our lives just don't matter. And why would my prayers matter? I think we're tempted to think that God doesn't care. And that would be from the pit of hell. God does care. God does hear each and every one of your prayers. And God sees it all. Just as he saw it all in the days of Noah. It's worth living a godly life. So I'm going to read out of Genesis chapter 6. And I hope you can stay up with me. I'm going to read qu quite quickly. Um. Out of the New American Standard Bible, um, part of the story of Noah out of Genesis chapter 6. Again, verse 9. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. And then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourselves an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it, the length and the ark. 300 cubics, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubics. By the way, a cubic is from the elbow to the tip of the hand. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubic from the top and set the door of the ark on the side of it. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Behold, I am, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which his breath <coughs> is the breath of life. From under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds after their kind and of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourselves some of the food which is edible, and gather it to yourselves, and it shall be for food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God, wow, Noah did all. Can you say that? I don't think I can. All that God had commanded him. So he did. So this passage of Scripture takes place where, where God has given Noah all these instructions and details of what is to come. And why? 
Why? Because God sees when no one else sees. As far as the world was concerned, they were just fine and dandy. But God also saw that Noah was righteous. Let's look at 2 Chronicles 16, 9. This is about what God continues to do, not just back then in Genesis. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him, even at River Rock Fellowship. I just added that part. He searches. He continues to search. I know it's tempting to think that God doesn't see us or that God isn't watching or that God doesn't understand. But God sees what no one else sees, even what's in your heart. I think Noah would have also shared this, that number two, faith doesn't always make sense. Faith doesn't always make sense. Can you imagine getting a message from God to build a big boat? I mean, three levels. Bring in a bunch of animals. By the way, you've never seen rain or water come from the sky. It's never happened. He's not a boat builder, and he's not a fisherman. What's he doing? Obeying God. Can you imagine the ridicule that he and his family and his wife had to endure for over a century? I mean, this is the first bivocational pastor. He's preaching repentance because God told him to, and he's building an ark. Wow. It's amazing. Some people, how many of you, don't raise your hand because I'm, I'm going to show you that it's probably not the case. Um, many of us, have been brought up in our Sunday school theology that there were two animals, a boy and a girl, male and a female, that went up into the ark. I'm going to let you know if that's what you believe. I love your Sunday school teacher, but they were wrong. Let's actually see what happens and how did they get there? How did they come up with the idea it was just a boy and a girl? Only one and two, right? Only two of them. Well, let's read. And this is not on your, your, your handout, but it will be up on the screen. Genesis chapter 7, verse 13 through 16. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and, and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all li livestock according to their kind, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs, pairs, of all creatures that have breath of life in them come, came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing. As God had commanded Noah, then the Lord shut him in. Okay, we're done. There's a problem. Why don't you go backwards and read the whole chapter? And you might find out that there's a big piece that's missing. What we just saw right here, it was just kind of like some news reporter saying, and the president is walking up the stairs with his wife. Okay? He's just giving you the play-by-play. -play. He's not giving you the full picture in this regard. So let's go to Genesis 7, verses 1 through 5. Then the Lord said to know, now this is before what we just read. Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you... 
seven pairs of every kind of clean animal. This is open hoof, closed hoof deal. Okay? So a clean animal, right, which would be a closed hoof animal, seven pair. What does that mean? Fourteen. Seven boys and seven girls. Okay? Take with you seven pairs. So it would have been seven pairs of giraffes. Okay? If they're a clean animal. I don't know their hooves. I don't have giraffes in the backyard. A male and its mate. And one pair of every kind of unclean animal. So the pigs, there were only four of them. Two male, two female. A male and its mate. Verse 3. And also seven pair of every kind of bird, male and female. Total of 14. To keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. God knew that some of them may not have made it. Some of them could have got sick. Some of them could have been used for sacrifice. So I think that's very interesting that there's a lot more to the Sunday school story. So Noah heard from God, and Noah obeyed even when it doesn't make sense in the natural. That's what makes him a hero of faith. Let's look at number three. God always proves himself true. God always keeps his promises. You can trust God. Maybe you've been betrayed by family or by friends or by a spouse or by a boss or by the church, and the pain is deep. I get that. But do not confuse being rejected and betrayed by man as equal to God. You can always trust God in spite of what we people do. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He always keeps his promises. He's always true. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through Jesus. It was over a century of building the ark according to God's instructions. And everyone and everything was in the ark now, and God closed the door. And the rain came just as God had said, because he's true. And the rain from the sky continued for 40 days, according to Genesis chapter 7, verse 12. However, the water continued to rise for another 110 days because of the water that was coming up from the ground. It continued that means a total of 150 days water increased on the earth. It took another 150 days for it to recede. That's there in, uh, in uh, Genesis 7:24, and recede in chapters 8, verse 3, which takes us to about the 12th month of them being with all those animals. Oh, Jesus, Lord, help them. I bet they had no nostrils to, that would be able to smell anymore. I don't know about you, but when I go on the I-5 and I, and I go by Harris Ranch, I remember my dad, and I go, I remember when I was a boy, and I just smelled that smell. And I was like, oh, that's horrible. My dad goes, son, that's the smell of money. <laughs> Never forgot that. That was freebie. Moving back around. So they're in the ark, and it's time to try to figure out 
if they're ever going to get out of the, the boat, how long are they going to be in this thing? I mean, Noah doesn't know. So he sends out a raven. That doesn't work. And now he's sending out a dove. And we pick up in Genesis chapter 8, verses 8 through 12. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground, but the dove couldn't find nowhere to perch because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So, re, so it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. Then he waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. Three times. Isn't that interesting? So let's fast forward, and now they're getting out of the ark. And then God does something that is just absolutely amazing. He initiates a covenant with Noah. Noah didn't ask for this. Noah didn't request anything. And he makes this covenant not only with Noah, but also with his, his family and with all the creatures that are alive and with the earth. Do you understand God values the earth and all the creatures? He values it all. He created it all. Now, he only made you and I in the image of God, but he didn't make them in that image, but he still values them because he created them. The best con conservationist in the world should be the body of Christ. We should be the best stewards of the planet. We shouldn't be tree huggers, but we should be the ones who care and steward the planet the best. I don't worship the earth. I worship the king who made the earth and everything on it. So the covenant that God, and understand a covenant is much grander than a uh, contract. You have a legal document, everybody signs it, and guess what? There's some legal ramifications if, if the contract is broken, and, and it's going to cost you something. With this, it's recognized for generations to come. It doesn't die with just me and the person I have a contract with. It goes on and on and on. And God makes a unilateral and unconditional covenant. It has nothing to do with what, what this guy Noah is wanting to do. or Nothing. It's only God. Only God has a requirement. Not Noah. And not his descendants. Only God. God is the one who initiates this. And God makes a promise that he will never again destroy the earth and cut off all life in a universal flood. By the way, people say that oh, there was only a regional flood. Gosh, guys, then why would he have to make a universal covenant with all created things in the whole planet? I mean, there's many things I, could, I can go and show you that, that just doesn't make sense. If it was a regional flood, there would be no reason for them to all have gotten into the boat. They could have, over a hundred years, traveled to the dry land place. Why would you need an ark? See how silly some of the arguments are? That promise about not destroying, it's a 100% God's grace 
And it's not conditional on anything that Noah or man would have to do. Now again, it's not on your notes, just ran out of place, guys. There's so much in this text. But in Genesis chapter 9, start at verse 12. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. Wow. Everything on the boat. And a covenant for all generations to come. For everything that's yet to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds. And it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember, meaning I will pay attention. It's not that I will ever forget. It's that I will always pay attention to this covenant. I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. And then God seals this covenant with this incredible sign, rainbow. By the way, it really is that rainbow, but that word is also translated into bow, meaning a warrior's bow. Why is that important? Because God is saying to Noah, you need to understand, son, I want you not to forget this. I will not use my wrath and my bow to destroy mankind. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take this bow and I'm going to hang it up here where I will not be using it, and you and all mankind will see my wrath, my bow, hanging in the sky, and know that I will never do that again. Why is that important? Because the first time they ever saw rain, there was total destruction. Everything was annihilated. And if it was to ever rain again, what would happen? Then God surely must be mad, and we're all going to be destroyed. Come on, Shem. Come on, Ham. Come on, Japheth. Bring the wise where you got to get back in the ark. Because God is mad. But now we see the bow, and it's up in the sky, our great God's bow. And he rests there. He says there will be peace. We won't destroy this, this earth with a flood ever again. So once again, we need to consider how important this promise would have been to Noah, to his family. God understood what was going on in their hearts. He saw everything. He knew that all the animals would have known the sound of rain. Some people say, you know, these, these things, and I don't necessarily agree, that there would have been people pounding on the ark, let us in, let us in. Have you ever been in a monsoon? Have you ever been in such incredible... My wife and I, we went camping with the family one time, and it was 75 mile hour straight winds. We're trying to rescue these tents, right? And it was, it was unbelievable. And we're getting hit by these straight wind rains and everything. I'm telling you, you don't go traveling out in that kind of weather. You can't get anywhere. You can't move. You're looking for the best shelter just to survive the amount of feet that are around you. I personally don't think they would have been crawling and scratching because this wasn't a, 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 a nice spring rain. 
was a downpour. And the wind. God always proves himself true. He always keeps his promises. The sign of that covenant remains to this day. God is for you. He's not against you. The question is, do you trust him? My wife and I had on New Year's Day, we are our thing with the Lord this year is is to answer. Do we trust him? And the thing that we understand, how do you know whether you trust God or not? Do you surrender everything? Do you surrender anything, everything, everyone? Do you hand it to the Lord? Even your thoughts, even your dreams, and your passions, your relationships. Do you really trust him? Do you trust him so much that you would spend over a century building a boat when it makes no sense? Do you trust him? In the days of Noah, the people, they had no conscience. I wonder in our world today, if that idea of not being afraid of sin in our lives, of being afraid of that these evil things, they're just okay. I don't know if you ever watch those reality TV shows, but sometimes they put those things up and they celebrate serial murderers. And look at all the women that are calling and want to get married. It's like, where's the God conscience that we celebrate death? And murderers? Where are you? Are you numb to sin? Does it bother you anymore? 